Greetings film fans and welcome to another episode of the following feature podcast. I'm your host Arthur Wilde and I'm here every week to give you the rundown of the latest film news and gossip, plus we try to review a few films as well that you may or may not want to watch. I don't know, it all depends on what I tell you about them I guess. Um, but I know what you're thinking, let's get straight off the bat here now, it's Wednesday. Why the fuck is there a podcast coming out now and where was the one on Sunday? Well, my life doesn't really go to any kind of schedule, uh, and as much as I try to make this a routine and a consistent thing, um, that's not always possible. Um, the weekend was quite a busy one. Uh, Friday, your boy was out making a TV show, had dialogue and everything. Um, had a great time, but it was a two-hour drive there, a 13-hour shoot, followed by a two-hour drive home, and I was cream-crackered. So whilst I tried to rest on Saturday, I actually ended up having guests around, had company, and... Um, that turned into an all-day session, which went through to about half past two in the morning. Um, and it didn't really get much sleep because, you know, Sunday morning I had to get on with it. And uh, there was uh, all kinds of football training. And then there was um, just hosting my nephews for the, for the afternoon and watching movies together. And all sorts of things were going on. Um, and I ended up passing out pretty early in the evening. Um, so by the time Monday rolled around, I wasn't even aware that I'd missed Sunday. That's how hectic my weekend had got. Um, as for Monday, I just pretty much crashed out the entire day. Um, was supposed to be getting all my stuff yesterday, but then I got more distracted. Um, had the super important task of taking the dog to the groomers. Uh, but then I also had my friend pop round. He had a voiceover audition that he wanted to do, but he didn't really have the equipment. And uh, what with me having one of the coolest and best sounding podcasts of all time, he decided this is the place to be. This is where it needs to happen. So he came round, and it was a friend that I hadn't seen in years as well, so we ended up catching up and just chilling and hanging out, and yeah, I just lost track of time before I knew it. I was sat in front of my laptop late in the evening, wondering whether or not I should do a late night podcast, but you know what? I was tired, I wasn't really feeling it, and this is one of those things that <clears throat> I'm not doing this out of any kind of an obligation. Um, I'm doing this for the fun of it, so if I'm not going to do it and have fun, then I'm not going to do it at all. Uh, so yes, it's a midweek podcast. I do apologize for that. Um, for all of those that you like to take the podcast with you on your Monday morning commute, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. Let you guys down and I apologize. But here we are. We're here now. We're live. We're going. Well, I mean, it's live when I'm recording. It's probably not going to sound live when you're actually listening back to it because editing and etc. And, and it's not live. I mean, we all know the definition of live. But anyway, Let's move on, because it is quite an important week in regards to what's going on with the world of cinema. Um, so let's get stuck in with the news section, the film news. And the first thing we've got to talk about, the most obvious thing, we've got to talk about the films that are being delayed. Because yet again, the schedule has shifted. Um... Things haven't really been going well at the cinemas since they've reopened. Not a lot of people are very excited about going back. They're kind of reluctant, which is understandable due to the, um, you know, the ongoing pandemic and the recent resurge, the second wave of virus, you know, cases coming through. Um, <clears throat> and whilst we have been encouraged to go out, of course, the government is turning around and, and putting the blame solely on the people that actually went out under instruction with their fifty percent off fast food. Um, apparently, we're the ones that were reckless now, and we're you know. Spreading the virus again. Um, but hey, let's not get political. I, I do too much of that in this show already. The, the fact remains that with the limited cinema releases, 
uh, cinemas, especially the big chains um, like Cineworld, uh, have been suffering. Um, I, I'm not saying that independent cinemas haven't been suffering worse, um, but for the for the Cineworld viewers like like myself, I've got one of those unlimited cards. Um, there aren't many independent cinemas nearby, and actually any cinemas at all um, in in my local area, they're very hard to come by. Um, but yeah. So I go to Cineworld quite a lot, and they're a chain with huge overheads, and um, they tried their best to open up again. I think they did a pretty good job. They were trying to keep people apart, um, but it wasn't really enough. And um, when Tenet came out, that was supposed to be the, the film that saved cinema, which was a bit too much pressure on uh, Nolan and the team. But however, um, it didn't really rake in the kind of numbers that it should have done, which was Understandable. They can only sell half the amount of seats that that they normally would, um, and that, with the lack of people actually going to the cinema, meant that the numbers were very, very low. Um, you know, if this film should have made a, a billion, where it was making um, you know less than fifty million at a time, and it was it was a very difficult thing for the cinemas to go through because obviously they're like doing their best to uh, put it on as many screens as possible and promote it as best as they can, um, but just you know they weren't seeing a return and. With the announcement that a load of films are going to be pushed back to next year, um, it became uh, it, did, it was no longer viable for them to keep their doors open. So, Cineworld especially, and um, some other chains, and, and maybe a handful of the independents that were able to open again, they're all going to be shutting now. So we're going to be losing our cinema again. Um, and to be fair, I went to see New Mutants when it came out, and um, it wasn't a great film. But that didn't take away from the fact that on opening night, I went to uh, a, a local Cineworld, which was, you know, one of the biggest and most popular in the area. Uh, it's quite new. Um, and I was one of five people in the cinema watching a brand new Marvel movie. I mean, I know it's not the MCU. It's it's Fox, Marvel, Sony film stuff. But even still, five people on opening night, you know... Um, so that was they were making a huge loss there, and it's kind of understandable that they didn't want to continue down that road because uh, at the moment, the way finances are, they will just about be able to keep on the staff and, and not have to have massive layoffs. But it's looking like if, if you know, as Boris Johnson said, these um, restrictions could go on for another six months, which mean all those films that are coming out in spring, you know, if they do end up coming out in spring then there could be a resurgence of cinema goers. But if there isn't a vaccine, then that means that it's still going to be uh, restricted viewings um, with a very reluctant audience. So there could be the possibility that um, many cinemas never reopen. Uh, and this is a genuine concern for film goers and um, people who are involved in the arts. Um, as I say, it's not just Cineworld. Uh, they are part of a corporation. However, they do employ thousands of people across the country. Um, so it is quite a serious uh, predicament for them to be in. Um, a lot of the independent ones as well, they're going to be suffering and they don't have the the large corporation. They don't have the ability to kind of get a, a bailout um, the way other corporations would be able to do. So, you know, unfortunately, we're seeing as well that um, instead of the government looking for ways to uh, greater support the art, um, which is a multi-billion pound um, industry in this country. Um, uh, Rishi Sunak was actually on the news uh, in the last couple of days claiming that people in the arts should look to, uh, you know, learn new skills, look for new opportunities. 
give up on their dreams and maybe, you know, stack shelves in a supermarket or something like that. Um, it's just, it's a very weird situation. Um, I'm in the industry myself, uh, and whilst I have been very fortunate recently getting some, you know, good work, um, I'm seeing big jobs being taken away. Um, your boy still hasn't started on the movie. That was supposed to be this week. It was also supposed to be last week. It was also supposed to be the week before. And numbers keep getting reduced and dates keep getting shifted around and things keep happening. And um, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a weird and scary time. Um, now, as far as the, the films that are being delayed, and this is the big one because Bond was supposed to be one of the biggest releases. You know, here in Britain, we love our Bond films and they attract a lot of bums to a lot of seats. So... The fact that the the Bond film has now been moved back to April 2021, um, it was a bit of a, a knockout blow for the cinemas because that was huge in re regards to them being able to stay open, financially speaking. Um, so that's been pushed back to April 21. Black Widow also has been pushed back to May 21st. Um, the Batman movie that we were looking forward to next year, I mean, they're still not even, I think, um, a third of the way through filming yet. Um, that's been moved back from June of next year to March 2022. Uh, Doctor Strange has been moved back from May 2021 to March 2022. Um, and another one, another big one that the, the cinemas were banking on because it was going to be a huge, huge draw. One that we've been looking forward to for a very, very long time. Um, uh, Denis Villeneuve's, uh, Dune remake, which is supposed to be out this December the 20th, is now coming out October next year. That's that's a long delay. I mean, we're just seeing the trailers. The, the excitement was getting there. Everyone was getting ready to buy their tickets. It's not going to happen. Ghostbusters Afterlife, one that my generation had been looking forward to hugely, um, if not just to see like another Ghostbusters out of the of the Ghostbusters outing of the original crew, but also to kind of plaster over the mistakes that were made in in the Ghostbusters reboot. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife was supposed to be coming out July this year, um, and it's it's now coming out March next year. So again, it's it's kind of becoming part of this really crucial spring lineup that we um you know it's going to be pivotal to the the ability for a lot of cinemas in this country to stay open. John Wick Four has been moved back. That's not coming out next spring now. Uh, well, actually, it's supposed to be coming out May next year. It's actually coming out May twenty twenty one instead. So that's been pushed back an entire year. Um, the King's Man, uh, otherwise known as Kingsman 3, that was supposed to be um, uh, coming out this September, so this month. That's now coming out um, February next year, but we'll see about that. Um, that all really depends on when the cinemas are able to reopen. Top Gun Maverick, uh, that's been moved to July of 2021. Uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, that was supposed to be out this October. That's been pushed back to June 21st. And Wonder Woman it's the only one that's still scheduled for a release on Christmas Day. But you know what? Watch this space. Um, if they are still able to get people back in back in cinemas uh, this Christmas, that'd be fantastic. Um, but with the pandemic still out there and flu season coming upon us, there's going to be a lot more people, um, a lot more vulnerable people that we need to take care of. Remember, we're not wearing masks to take care of just ourselves. We're doing it to take care of other people as well. There are people that have all kinds of um, autoimmune problems and uh, um, uh, breathing problems um, and, you know, 
conditions that put them in an, a high risk category. So whilst you may believe that even getting coronavirus, you might be able to recover really quickly, um, you might end up giving it to someone who just cannot recover at all. And it affects everyone differently. I mean, it's not the most obvious um, virus when it comes to the effects it has on certain people. You could be perfectly healthy, but it could, it could attack your lungs in a way that leaves them scarred and damaged, affecting you for the rest of your life. So you've got to be really careful. Um, this isn't a joke. And, you know, as much as the president of the USA tries to make out that he's now immune somehow, and they tested his DNA, but it wasn't DNA, it was USA. Uh, it's just a pile of shit. It's just an... That guy is so full of shit. If you don't, if you haven't figured that out by now, um, and yeah, you know what? If you are going to get coronavirus and you're able to be picked up in a private helicopter where your amazing world-class physicians at home transfer to you to an even better facility where you're given the most exclusive and expensive treatment the world has to offer, um, including experimental drugs that aren't available to the public, then yeah, you could come out pumped full of steroids and feeling really great. But um, it's all a bunch of shit, so be careful. Try to look after each other. You know, the more care we take now, the more sacrifices we make in regards to um, our social interactions um, and, you know, parties and such, um, then the, the quicker we can get back to normal and the quicker we can make sure that, you know, we can enjoy our lives again. 2021 could be a fantastic year, but we need to sacrifice 2020 for it. Um, and that's, that's easier said than done for most people, but unfortunately that's the way, the way it has to be right now. So yeah, unfortunately, all those films have been pushed back. But um, you know, let's 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 try to lighten the mood a bit. Let's let's talk about some positive stuff. There is some more film news that's not just delayed, you know, sadness. Um, Craig Robinson and Andy Samberg are teaming up for a stoner comedy called Super High, about a strain of cannabis that gives you superpowers. Now, that sounds like an interesting concept. You know what? The first thing that came to me was like, well, that would be great because I'd rather it was cannabis than something like cocaine. Think about the kind of superheroes that Coco-Co-Co-Co-Cocaine would turn you into. Jesus. I don't know why I have trouble saying that word. Um, maybe I'm on drugs. But anyway, so yeah, basically they're going to do this film about, I mean, and it just sounds ridiculous. I mean, you, you know Andy Samberg from like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, Craig Robinson has been in a lot of the old Seth Rogen movies. And um, yeah, uh, it, it's a very funny comedy duo but um don't really know much else about the film at the moment but uh it is a funny concept um i can imagine them being the most half-assed superheroes in the world um and having some very kind of maybe not the most effective superpowers in the world i don't know it's an interesting concept but those two getting together that i don't think i'm not sure, well you know what i know craig robinson has starred in brooklyn 99 uh, whether they've worked with each other outside of that, I don't really know, but it's a good comedy partnership, and I would look—I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, hopefully, Lonely Island do the soundtrack as well, because that'll just make it extra cool. Um, uh, here's a bit of interesting news: uh, we're going back to talk about the MCU again. Jamie Fox is to reprise his role as Electro in the Spider-Man franchise. Now, even though he's been part of the Andrew Garfield timeline, he will be playing the same character in Tom Holland's MCU variant. Um, does this mean we're edging closer to a live-action Spider-Verse movie? Uh, this is the company that's not afraid to play the long game, so, you know, watch this space. Um, there's been rumours for a while that, um, you know, Tom Holland's Spider-Man might enter the multiverse, and they've been talking to the likes of um, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire about reprising their roles as their versions of Spider-Man. Um, and that could be very, very interesting. I'd, I'd actually be interested to see what they would 
do with that? Because have you seen the the film um, Spider-Man to the, Into the Spider-Verse, the animated film that won the Oscars? Um, you'll know that there is... Uh, well, there, there's the concept that will prove very popular that there are, are many different variants of Spider-Man throughout multiple different, um, you know, parallel universes. Uh, and... One of the things that we've seen in the um, the DC TV series recently, they did they did um, Crisis on Infinite Earth, and they managed to cross over a load of different Superman Superman characters, which was quite interesting. They had um, the current Superman. I don't even know who he is. I don't I don't watch the Supergirl TV series, but apparently he's getting a spin off. And although they're making it into another rom com, I have a Lois and Clark thing. So that sounds like a pile of shite. Um, however, they did do a crossover and they brought back Tom Welling, um, Smallville Superman. And they had Brandon Routh from Superman Returns, a film that I feel is quite underrated. But then a lot of people don't like um, Superman Returns, and I can kind of understand what they're saying. It wasn't; it was a bit more of a kind of romance story, a bit more of a drama. Um, what I feel was pivotal in that film flopping was the fact that they edited a lot of stuff out. Um, I came across once a version online called Superman Restored, and there was fifteen minutes missing from the beginning and it's all the story of like sort of what happened to superman why he went back to krypton what happened when he got there you know why he had to leave and come back to earth why he came back in in such a state and what was really affecting him what he'd learned about his people his past his family yeah and they they, they decided to cut that out of the film meaning that the rest of the plot was losing a lot of context and I tell you what, it makes such a huge difference. But I do think that was a lovely film. I don't think Kate Bosworth was a very good Lois Lane. She kind of missed the point of that character quite a bit. Um, but the disgraced Kevin Spacey was ideal as Lex Luthor. Um, anything more so now with his, his current uh, reputation. Um, I'm not saying he should be recast in the role or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's been it's been an odd group of people playing that character. I think Gene, Gene Hackman is probably the best. But... Um, um, yeah, it looks like... So, so Jamie Foxx is playing that same character, as you remember from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, he was the one of the main antagonists uh, against Peter Parker. Um, not a great film, and they maybe didn't use his character very well. He gave a great performance, but the film was a bit of a mess. It was a little bit all over the place. Um, but bringing him in, whether he'll be the same in the same universe as um, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, whether he's coming across from that, or whether he's just another iteration of that character turning into Electro. I don't know. Um, but the fact that it's the same actor, that makes me wonder, what are they going to do with this? So that's one to keep an eye on. Um, also, uh, what else do we have? Oh, yeah. Now, you might remember, um, early in September, about three or four weeks ago now, I was saying that I believe that there's a new Borat film coming out because he's done a bunch of sketches recently and some people are hinting at the fact that it might be leading towards a Borat film. Um, some people are saying it might be something else. Uh, it could be a new series of um, This Is America. Um, but yeah, we were saying on this show that it was possibly Borat 2 um, and we had a, a possible title floating around. Well, turns out we were right. Borat uh, and that it's not Borat 2, it's, it's now referred to as Borat Subsequent Movie Film is coming to Amazon this October the 23rd. So, you know, we're not talking about... It. That's, that's like just over two weeks away? But just in time for the election, as we predicted. So we are going to get to see it, and, and judging by the trailer, it looks absolutely fantastic. Now, 
as we discussed, he he said in an interview when the first film came out that he would have difficulty doing it again because everyone recognizes him, and that seems to be the the setup for this film as well. He does go around originally in, in the Borat costume, but then he talks about how everyone recognizes him. So to do his new film, he'd have to do it in disguise. Uh, cue him trying on different outfits and um, dressing up as fat Americans. Um, there's even a great bit in the, the trailer where he dresses up as Trump um, with a girl over his shoulder and runs into um, a town hall meeting with Mike Pence. So it looks outrageous. It looks hilarious. And I cannot wait to see. I, I, I'm under the impression that um, he has caused a lot of controversy, but in order to mitigate the amount of negative press that the Republicans are getting at the moment, they've downplayed it, they've not really kind of talked about it, they haven't addressed it, um, but in doing so, they've actually helped promote what could be some of the most amazing twists and uh, outrageous moments in this film. So really, really looking forward to that. Cannot wait to see it. That's um, Borat's subsequent movie film, coming to Amazon this October the 23rd. And let's face it, who isn't tempted to do the accent when they're talking about it? Borat's subsequent movie film. I always end up sounding like the um, fucking Meerkats from the advert. You know the one. Compare to the Meerkat.com. Simples. Anyway, um, this is the thing. I, I shouldn't be doing impressions on this show. It's fucking embarrassing. Let's move on. Robert Downey Jr., is, is hoping that Sherlock Holmes 3 will kick off a mystery verse of films related to the famous detective's escapades. Now, this is a bit of a weird one. Uh, we all know that Guy Ritchie was looking to make another Sherlock film, but he got so sidetracked of all his other projects that it just didn't happen. Um, well, he's, he's going to be doing it pretty soon. And in fact, they're so far in advance talks that um, Robert Downey Jr. wants to take what he's learned from the MCU, I guess, and try to make some kind of um, mystery universe of connected films. Um, and someone's even suggested that with the current, uh, you know, run of Poirot films, maybe there could be a crossover there. Who knows? But basically, I think what they're talking about is that there's going to be, like, side characters that get potential movie spin-offs or TV spin-offs. Uh, some people are talking about how um, a Dr. Watson show would be quite interesting. Or whether they can come up with their own version of Enola Holmes. Because um, as we've seen the the Netflix film, it's doing really, really well. Um, and it is a, a fun family film. I had a few problems with it. Um, if you want to be reminded of that, we'll go back and listen to the last episode of the podcast, which was almost 10 days ago. I know. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. I will try to make it a bit more consistent. But, you know, shit happens. Um, but, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is hoping that Sherlock Holmes 3 will be able to kick off this mystery verse. Um, and they'll be looking to expand on some characters. So expect there to be, like, I don't know, a few peripheral characters with significance in history, but played by quite well-known actors that maybe you feel should have had a larger role in the film. Who knows? Um, but yeah, we'll keep an eye out for it. But that's all the film news I've got for you this week. Uh, as I say, it's mainly about film delays... And, um, you know, not being able to keep the cinemas open much longer, but such is life. Um, uh, as I say, like, it's it's very important to me. I love going to the cinema. It's one of my favourite pastimes. Uh, so as soon as the cinemas are able to reopen, or as soon as there's any real news about whether the cinemas can reopen, I will be sure to let you know. Um, but in the meantime, you know, as, unfortunately, that's all the film news I've got for you. So let's move straight on to our film reviews. 
Right, now this week, as promised, we're doing documentaries. Um, and I've watched a lot of documentaries over the last um, uh, week or so. Ten days, I think it is. Um, and I haven't managed to watch all the ones I wanted to watch. Uh, and there were ones that I wanted to review. Uh, there were some, some that recommended to me that I couldn't quite grab a copy of. Um, there were some that I ended up watching that I enjoyed, but I didn't feel like were significant enough to get reviewed. Uh, for example, I watched Inmate Number One, the the, um, the story of Danny Trejo. Uh, if you don't know who Danny Trejo is, um, you probably know him as the mean Mexican in every single fucking film. Um, and he's a, it's an amazing story. Um, he basically he he came from a broken home in a very poor neighborhood with a, an uncle that was on um, drugs and involved in crime. He ended up getting led down that very same path, and it wasn't long before he found himself in the world's or in America's most notorious prison where he um, established himself as a boxing champion. Um, and when he got released from prison, you know, and he was in prison for like armed robbies, he, he was a real mean dude. And he had this persona as the mean Mexican. And so he had his body covered in tattoos and to, to make him look even more intimidating. Um, but then when he got released from prison, he realized that he really wanted to turn his life around and he wanted to make sure that he didn't follow the same path as his, um, his uncle. So yeah, he... he he became a, a drug counsellor. He became a very supportive guy. He tried to help somebody every single day. That was his mission. And he really turned his life around for the better. And eventually he got picked up to um, be an extra in a movie. And, you know, with his look, he got cast as inmate number one, um, uh, cholo number one, uh, gangster number one, all these kind of different uh, characters until someone decided to take a chance on him, give him some dialogue. And... You know, more and more and more it built up until, you know, I think he's registered now over like 350 films, including kids' films and dramas. The guy's a good actor, and he's he's done a lot of great work, and he's just an amazing character as well. So it's a great documentary to watch, but it's more of a kind of a tribute to an actor by fans, really. And it really does appeal to the, the fans, so give it a go. Um, if you're not a fan of Danny Trejo, you, you'll find it interesting, but... It's it's more kind of directed at people who want to know the details of his life, people that already had an interest in who he was as a person and just wanted to know more. Um, so I'm not going to review that one, but yeah, honorary mention, give it a try if you if you happen to happen upon it. The first one I'm going to review this week though is Virunga. Um, now Virunga is named after the national park in the Congo, and it tells the tale of the conservationists who fight to protect it. And by fight, I mean fight. Whilst they struggle to keep British oil company Soko International from exploring oil drilling, drilling opportunities on protected land, they also have to fend off poachers who will just as easily shoot a ranger as they would a gorilla. And with the number of these beautiful creatures already dangerously low, it's no longer just a battle, they're at war. Something which becomes a reality when the violent M23 re uh, rebellion begins to turn their attention to the park. And when the soldiers head in their direction, it's up to the wardens and staff alone to protect the last remaining mountain gorillas in the world. Now, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about this documentary when I first started watching it. Um, and I kind of got the impression it was going to be about how difficult it is to um, ensure the survival of these gorillas. But this film is so much more. Um, this is... A real tale of how people are... They're not just doing this because it's a job. They they go to this 
park every day knowing that what they do, the work they do is vital for the survival of the species. And it means so much to them that when they're threatened with, you know, the kind of danger that no one would want to face, you know, an armed militia, a ruthless, bloodthirsty militia heading towards you, determined to destroy everything that's there and kill kill whoever stands in their way. And they will kill the gorillas as well. And they're the last ones in the world. So these people, you know, and they're basically like glorified veterinarians. They're taking up rifles um, and they're, they're looking to defend, their, they're going to stand their ground um, and give their lives before they'll give up the lives of the gorillas. And it's just the most amazing story. It's, um, it, it shocks you to see that this is a situation that people really have to deal with. Um, and you hear a lot about the difficulty of conservation, but you, you often get the impression that it's, it's mainly financial, um, which it is to a, a, an extent, but the, the, the threat is real. The threat is a physical threat. Um, you've got ruthless, uh, oil companies just trying to tear up this lovely part of nature, this, this restricted bit of land, just in case there's, you know, money buried beneath it in the shape of oil. Um, and they're corrupt and they're deceitful and they don't give a shit about the law or nature or human life. Um, and it creates a situation where, you know, as much as um, the local government and the local army do try to protect the resources... When this rebellion starts and, it, and it's going from town to town, taking control bit by bit, creating a sort of caliphate of some sort, um, they know that when it gets to them, that it's already too late. If it gets to them, that means that the army has has failed and they've lost. And now this this militia that's growing and growing with each town it conquers it's going to come up and, and it's going to come up against a, a, some park rangers and wardens and vets that aren't really built for this kind of thing. Um, and it, it really is just, it's one of the most engrossing and captivating documentaries I've ever seen. It really did kind of blow me away and I was, I was shocked. I felt there were moments of, of pure heart-stopping drama that made me think like, am I really watching a documentary here? Because this could very easily be um, a, a dramatised film. You know, this could be a, a dramatisation of the events told by someone who just decided to add a bit of cinematic flair with their dramatic licence. But it's all real. And that, that kind of reminder every now and again that you're not watching a dramatisation, that these people really did do this for the gorillas. You know, it really is outstanding. Um, that's on Netflix right now. And... <clears throat> I would recommend you go check it out. I mean, there's a reason why it got the Oscar nominations that it did. I'm surprised it didn't win any. I'll have to double check actually what won against it. But it's a fantastic documentary. And um, it's a real testament to just how much people are doing. Um, how much certain people are doing to actually, you know, the conservationists to protect uh, this, this resource and this um, very threatened species. Um but on the other side of the, you know, on the other hand, it also shows the um, 
despicable corruption that these oil companies exercise when they're trying to, you know, gain more resources at any cost. And it is a limited resource as well. So once that oil dries up, then that's it. That you know, the earth may reclaim uh, the land once we're gone, but the um, the creatures that are living amongst us right now, we're destroying them. We're destroying them left, right, and center. Um, so yeah, it makes you want to go out and do more to support renewable energies and animal conservation. It really is quite inspiring. Um, so if you're a fan of like the Attenborough series and stuff like that on the BBC, and I know a lot of you are, if you like those kind of survival shows and, and it really does mean a lot to you, then go and check out Varunga because it will it will really leave you with your jaw on the floor. Um, and yeah, you might want to watch it again and again because it's, it's just that amazing. Um, but moving on. Our next documentary is one that I did mention that I was going to review, um, and it's one that stayed with me for a very long time. Um, Anvil, the story of Anvil, is a documentary about Anvil, a rock band that almost made it. Now, from headlining a festival alongside Bon Jovi, Scorpions and Whitesnake, to playing a 50th birthday party at a local sports bar, the fall from grace experienced by these ageing Canadian rockers seems to be something of a mystery. A European tour brings little to no success. An audience of thousands turn out to be, you know, audiences of 10, 15 people. And after fighting with promoters and sleeping in train stations, the band return home, ready to hang up their axes once and for all. But with a 13th album written, can they keep their shit together long enough to get it done? With no money, barely any support, and age quickly becoming a factor... Can they keep from falling apart and finally relive the days of being true monsters of rock? Or will this be the final nail in the coffin? Now, this was an interesting one because um, I'd never heard of Anvil. And I was very, very much aware of the whole Monsters of Rock movement and all those kind of bands that came out of uh, the 80s and, you know, all the, the, uh, the spandex and the hair and, you know, especially the hair. There's a reason why we called it hair metal. Because, my God, you want to look at fucking Bon Jovi from the 80s and you'd think, you know, that's it's almost an impossible perm. It's like a gravity-defying uh, faux-fro type situation. Um, and, good God, how flammable they must have been. There's, there's no, you know, the, the amount of hairspray these bands used, the amount of pyrotechnics. Uh, there are stories of, of bands getting burned. Just ask James Hetfield, he'll tell you all about it. Um... But the story of Anvil is a very interesting one because they seem to be right there. They were one of the best of the best, one of the peak rock bands from this era and that movement. And everything was in place for them to make it. Skip forward 20, 30 years and, you know, one of them is a, is a delivery driver bringing um, food resources to schools and care homes. Um, another one works on a construction site and they're generally just not really making it they're, they've pretty much given up and as i say they've got this small fan base of like 20 30 people at their local sports bar and we catch them doing a 50th birthday party for someone and you think how what a fall from grace but the one thing that i picked up on straight away is like they still do it regardless of the um how little success they've had how little fame and popularity they still do it and 
one thing that's pointed out to me because I wanted to be a rock star in the past, and I was a band, I was a lead singer in a band for a while. Um, but a friend once told me, um, my friend uh, Peter Jones, um, who I haven't spoken to in a long time actually, um, he was uh, he was a road manager and he worked with many many bands. Um, I remember him when he'd be rolling through town with bands, he'd give me a call so I could come and meet him and just jump on the van and just tour around the band for a while. And it's one of the reasons why I, I very briefly, for like a weekend or, or so, became a roadie with Biffy Clyro. Um, and, you know, all I would... This is back like 20 odd years ago before they'd actually like moved to a big label. And we used to just sit around and I remember sitting in hotel rooms with a PS2 playing FIFA with the boys until five in the morning under the influence of all sorts. It was a hell of a time. It seems really rock and roll when I look back at it now, but I had no idea they were going to turn into the band they were, or the band they are now. Um, And it, it's interesting because, uh, yeah, well, sorry, I digress. Peter actually said to me one day, when I said that I wanted to be a rock star, he looked at me and he goes, yeah, you're not. And I was like, I beg your pardon? And he goes, you, you just don't have it. I'm like, you've never even heard me sing or anything. And he goes, trust me, if you wanted to be a rock star, you'd be dedicating yourself to it a lot more than you are. Um, and he was right. I wasn't as dedicated. I mean, it was a, something that I wanted a lot, but it wasn't something that I was committed to. And sure enough, when I ended up being in a band, um, we weren't very productive, any of us. Um, we were a bunch of people that had always wanted it, but never really got around to putting in the work. And, um, when we got together, we combined our lack of work to achieve nothing. And that was a bit of a wake up call for me. But now I look back and I, I look at, um, bands like Anvil, um, who had that taste of success and then it all got taken away from them and they never gave up. They never stopped being who they were. They never stopped being Anvil. And it's just amazing to watch them, you know, have that kind of passion when they're just playing to like a group of dudes at a, at a sports bar. Um, but this documentary finds them after a failed European tour. Um, they they decide that they're going to go back into the studio. They're going to record their 13th album. Um, and as they're doing it, you know, they start to fall apart. And there's some truths get told, which really cause emotional outbreaks between, you know, lifelong friends. And it looks like it might all fall apart they might just kind of you know capitulate and just everything will be lost and that'll be it that'll be the end of the story um but whilst recording the album they get um they basically get contacted about doing this uh monsters of rock festival in japan pretty much going back to where it all started where they're at the peak of their fame um and they agree to do it you know hoping that having this huge audience um, and going there with a, a brand new album in the can, they might be able to find it again. They might be able to find it, if only for a you know a brief moment, because uh, these guys are like in there, sixties, um, seventies. You know, it, time is running out for them. For most people, they'd they'd say that time has run out, and that's it. They shouldn't even be trying. But it's still in them. It's still part of who they are. It's part of their DNA. Uh, you know, the rock and roll is in their blood, and they're, they're not going to let it go. They're not going to go down without like one last hurrah. And, you know, that's that's what it all kind of builds towards. I mean, I don't want to tell you too much because you really should watch this. But it's amazing um, to watch this documentary and just 
you're really um you find yourself almost falling in love with the band because you really do believe in in their their passion their spirit their their belief in who they are and how true they are to themselves um it, it's quite hard to watch them being true to one another because it seems like they've spent most of their lives like holding back and now that the camera's on them now that they're put on the spot they end up coming out with things that you know risked breaking them um but also could be the one chance they have to kind of keep their shit together and you know do it as a band maybe i, I want to say like one last time but it's one of those things that it's their last chance to to save what is has been their their passion for their entire lives it's like their child they've raised anvil the band um Will they fizz away into obscurity or will they go out with one last bang? Well, check out the documentary to find out because it's thoroughly enjoyable. Um, the, the the banter between the, the um, different acts they work with, the talking head stories where people like Lars Ulrich from Metallica say like kind of they don't understand how the band they looked up to are the band that you can now see playing at like a a local sports bar doing a 50th birthday party. It's quite an amazing story and and one that you'll find extremely compelling, so I would thoroughly recommend checking out Anvil, the story of Anvil. Now, the last documentary I'm going to review, um, I wasn't sure whether or not to, to um, review this one or not, because it's a short documentary. It's only about 40 minutes long, um, and it's quite a niche thing um it's called the speed cubers now if you don't know what a speed cuber is it's basically um well the, the speed cubers is a story of, of one of the most inspiring rivalries turned friendships you'll ever see uh, now that might be a big claim to open with but i promise you that it's, it's worth the effort uh, it tells a tale of two speed cubers who are people who solve rubik's cubes competitively the reigning champ felix zemdegs holds the most world records and has dominated the competition for years his only true rival is Max Park. Uh, Max was born with autism and his parents had struggled to help him communicate and develop social skills until one day what his mother considered to be a simple toy became the key that unlocked the world to him. But upon meeting his idol Felix, instead of finding an enemy or a rival, he found probably the most important friend of his life. And as these two battle it out to become the best in the world, the achievements they have together make for a heartwarming tale of sportsmanship and friendship in one of the most unique competitions in the world. Now, this is a really interesting documentary because, as I say, like not a lot of people are aware of um, speed cubing, which is, you know, I, and if you ever sat down and worked a Rubik's Cube, apparently it takes the average human about, I think they said like sort of about three and a half hours to solve a, a Rubik's Cube. Um, these people will solve it in around six seconds, which is, is insane. Um, and some of them can solve it one-handed uh, in, in, you know, not much more time over that. Um, some people can solve them with their feet, which is, I just think, kind of pointless and kind of sick. Um, just not a big fan of feet. Uh, I'm like the reverse Tarantino. Um, I make terrible films and I hate feet. Um, but yeah, uh, some people do it blindfolded, um, which is insane. Um, it kind of reminded me of this really amusing thing I saw on Instagram or I might have been a TikTok, something like that. 
and it was the uh, the first colorblind man to solve a Rubik's cube in under ten seconds. Spoiler: He didn't solve it. If you don't know what the joke is, there it's it's I I, I can't help you. But with this story, it's it's amazing. Um, because it's not exactly what you think it's going to be. It's, it's, I thought it was going to be a, about like sort of trying to achieve this this cubing record. But when you meet this guy Felix, you know you realise that he kind of fell into this, like it was just something that became a, a bit of an obsession. Um, but as he's getting on in life, he's wondering if he should keep doing it, or you know he's he's got this um, opportunity to go work in finance for this big company, um, and he's kind of contemplating where his life's going and and how much of his time he's unnecessarily dedicated to what isn't really uh, a very fruitful achievement um but then this kid max comes along and um you know max who hasn't really been able to interact with the world uh in ways that most kids normally would uh you know this this rubik's cube became something which made him a lot more communicative uh, which was a, a godsend to his parents, who were really struggling and didn't really know what to do. Um, this really was a key that unlocked him and um, made him more tactile, made him more personable, um, and really just gave him the social skills that he enabled him to um, interact with uh, people. You know, start attending school and and doing things that you know he really did have difficulty doing. The Rubik's cube was the answer. So when he goes along to his first speed cubing event, he wouldn't usually use, like, one of the things he didn't do was point. He wouldn't be able to point things out. And as soon as he starts seeing his idols and, and uh, you know, cubers that he's aware of, uh, he gets very excited. He starts pointing them out. And it, it becomes apparent that this is going to be huge to him. Uh, these events are going to be huge. Um, but what will actually happen when he becomes competitive? You know, what actually happens when he meets his idol, Felix? Well, what actually happens is um, Felix doesn't see a rival. What he sees is someone that he can help, someone that he can nurture and guide into becoming not just a, a great cuber, but um, a more rounded and um, sociable person. Uh, and he almost becomes like a bigger brother to him. And it's wonderful because Max's success can be attributed in 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 part to his biggest rival and his biggest idol the guy that he looks up to the guy that he wants to you know be considered alongside is one of the people that is um instrumental in helping him become the person that can be that person and so it's it's really quite inspiring and heartwarming in a way that i didn't really expect and it's a, a story of companionship and friendship um, and growing as a person, um, because the way Felix helps Max, Max helps Felix as well. Uh, he he allows Felix to see himself as a better person than he originally did, and um, and it allows him to see that he he can do more in the world um, through his cubing. It's not just a silly little thing that he does by himself. Um, he questions constantly whether at his age. He should be considering doing more productive um, things with his life, um, and whether his inability to keep up with the the younger generation is because life is getting in the way and that he's getting more, you know, responsibilities, or whether or not 
it's actually because that he feels guilty about dedicating so much time to something which, again, isn't a, a fruitful activity. It doesn't, you know, give much in the way of rewards. So there's a lot going on in this documentary, and the fact that it's only 40 minutes long blew me away because they cover a lot of ground and they don't skip through things too quickly. It really does, you know, spend a, a lot of time just telling the story of who these people are, where they've come from, and how they're coming together helps them both, you know, move forward in life and experience things on a level that they weren't really open to beforehand. Um, it, it's very sweet, it's very sincere, and it's really nicely done. Um, it doesn't spend too much time sort of making a big drama out of um, the, the, the issues that surround these people and, and the struggles that they come up against. But what it does is really focus on um, how coming together and working together and how friendship and companionship can be just so important and huge to some people. The unexpected friendships you gain are sometimes the, the most important ones that you have in your life. And it's something that I experience quite a lot too. Um, working in the film industry, you're quite often working with a group of people you've never met before. And you'll end up being stuck in a room with them for like, like on Friday. I was, I was with a lot of people, uh, people that I'd never met before. Um, and the shoot was 13 hours. And it was a it was a difficult one as well because whilst a lot of the um, extras or supporting artists were able to take some time to sit down in the holding area and chill out, have a cup of tea, maybe have a sandwich, a couple of snacks, and just chat and watch YouTube and all that kind of jazz. Um, your boy here, we I had a quite a, a a big part. You know, I was background, but it was a featured part with dialogue, and it meant a lot of interaction with the main cast. It meant rehearsals. It meant having a mic strapped to me, um, it meant having hair and makeup done, and it was a very difficult thing to do as well, because um, when another character is projecting in the way that the uh, the characters, the protect, you know, the lead principal actors in this were, um, because of COVID restrictions, when the camera's facing them, I had to still be there for the eye line and, and like sort of a point of reference and all that kind of jazz, and but I had to wear a mask over my face and goggles over my eyes, which was bizarre as hell. Um, and it, you know, it felt like I was scuba filming. It was a really weird situation, but completely understandable and completely necessary. And so therefore I, I didn't really complain about it. Um, just kind of let it be. Uh, but it was a, a weird situation because then when the cameras were turned around and, and suddenly I had to do my bit, um, you take this mask off, you take this goggle off, and suddenly you've got like red marks on your face. Uh, my beard was all messed up and sweaty. Um, and it's a job for hair and makeup then to come in um, whilst keeping restrictions. They've got to keep all their masks and goggles on as well. And it's really difficult for them to be able to do what they do uh, without, you know, getting too close. I mean, they've got to physically touch you. So it's it's really hard to, to keep a distance. Um, and... The, the way we got around that and the way we managed to keep everyone safe is that we went for a test earlier in the week, then isolated the rest of the week, and then filmed on the Friday. So, um, yeah, and then whilst we were there on Friday, we got tested again. Uh, and again, all negative results so far. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, but yeah, it's just a weird situation at the moment. But when I tell you that the industry is working extremely hard to make things happen so that you guys... Well, everyone, you know, gets to watch the films and the TV series that they love. 
I know when EastEnders was off air, um, that's a, a show that I've worked on quite a lot. And I got bombarded with messages. When is it coming back? When is it coming back? What are they doing? What's it doing? And, you know, the thing was, for the for the longest part, they weren't actually using a lot of background actors. So I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and I was as much in the dark as anyone else. So it was a, it was a weird situation, but... Um, and it's weird. It's a it's a strange world now. It's the new normal going back to work and having all these restrictions, uh, because the social part of it was huge, and the friends that you got to make and the networking uh, was amazing. You know, some of my closest friends right now are people that I've met on movie sets, um, and I don't really get to see them much. Even when we are working together, we have to sit apart from each other. We have to keep our masks on, and it, it's it's difficult. And as much as I want to be networking with these new people, um, like the guy Sam, who I was working with on Friday, uh, because he was the other speaking part, the other speaking supporting artist, um, we got to hang out with each other all day. Um, and whilst we did get to talk, we couldn't really talk too much because in between shots we did have to keep separated, we did have to keep our masks on, and, and that kind of communication... Especially when you're on set and, uh, you know, lighting have things to do and um, sound have things to do, the director has things to do, uh, art department have things to do, the cast have things to work out, uh, you know, people need to get their marks set. and So you can't really sit there going, right, you see the match the other night? Yeah, what was Wenger thinking? Always trying to walk it in. Um, sorry, that was an IT crowd quote. Wenger hasn't been in charge of Arsenal for a very long time. And let's not talk about football. I'm a Man U fan and I'm not really happy at the moment. Um, Salavi. Um... But yeah, the, the the unexpected companionship of friends from random encounters, it's one of the, the most glorious things about life. It's one of the most exciting things about going out there and interacting with the world is that you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know. You could be meeting your new best mate. You could be meeting your new girlfriend. You could be meeting your new boss. Um, there are people that I've met on set that I've ended up collaborating with on films, um, you know, short films and like sort of little projects they're doing. And... Um, I've got an idea for a feature myself, um, which would involve bringing in a cast and crew. And I'll be honest, a lot of the people that I'm thinking of, uh, you know, getting involved are people that I've met on set. Um, so I could I could empathise a lot with the um, unexpected friendships that they these these guys found through cubing, because um, I've had it a lot myself. Um, and the weird thing is, what I've found through doing film work is that I've learned a lot about who I am and uh, what really excites me, what really kind of gets me going, what inspires me, what motivates me. Um, I found when I'm doing office work, even if it's just down the road, even if it's like five minutes away, I'm always about like six minutes late. But you tell me to be on a film set that's like 125 miles away and I've got to be there for half five. I'll be there at five. I, You know, I don't fuck around. Um, that doesn't always work out, you know. People tend to drive like idiots in the rain and I end up getting caught in tailbacks on the M1 and just ridiculous situations like that. But um, yeah, for the most part, it's always been a very productive and fruitful encounter. So I'm grateful for all those weird friendships and um, relationships that I've gained throughout the years. So long may it continue. I don't know when I'm going to be working next. I've got nothing lined up at the moment. I'm supposed to be back on the film next week, but... You know, I'm supposed to be on the film this week, so we'll see what that happens. Um, I'll, I'll let you know this Sunday, um, because the podcast should be going back to its usual slot this Sunday. Um, again, apologies 
things just happened. Life just kind of happened and I ended up getting way too busy, lost track of time and suddenly it's fucking Wednesday. But here we go. We've had another podcast. I'm so glad I got to speak to you guys again. I miss you guys, even though you're not here to actually, you know, applaud or whatever. Um, I know you're listening and I appreciate the fuck out of you. So for this week at least, or at least until Sunday, um, I wish you peace, love and empathy. Enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy your movies. Take care.